Welcome to Igris Moshe A to Z. I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, and this week we're looking at three vote on fertility. Rav Moshe really wrote some groundbreaking vote on the new technologies that were coming um, to the fore. And his psakim, his rulings on this, have really defined the parameters of our approach to these questions, certainly for the um, most, for the modern Orthodox community, for much of the yeshivish community. But because he was, as we will see, uh, permissive in many cases, uh, this also engendered a lot of uh, negative pushback from certain segments of the Orthodox community. And his psakim are definitely not accepted uh, by major segments of the more yeshivish or Hasidish community. Uh, today we're going to be looking at a uh, 3-2 vote on artificial insemination, specifically the use of sperm of another man, not of the husband. These two votes were all written at around the same time, the first in 1959 and uh, spanning two, three years from 1959 to 1961-62. So we start with a tshuva in Evena Ezer 171. And the title is Bedin Zrikat Zera Lemeha Isha Shechikshu Harofim, regarding putting artificial insemination, putting the sperm into the woman's womb, that this is a new procedure that the doctors have uh, innovated. Um, and the tshuva is dated April 1959. And it's interesting first to note that he, uh, who he is writing his response to and who asked the question. He's writing his response to Malod Kvod Yedidi Harav Hagon Moreno Rav Yaakov Hemnik, a colleague, Rabbi Yaakov Hemnik. But he starts by saying, The question I was asked from your, your, your wife, the Rebetzin, regarding a woman who was embarrassed to ask from you, the rabbi, and felt more comfortable asking the Rebetzin, and asked the question about whether it would be permissible to use artificial insemination in a case where her husband's was sperm would not, uh, did not have the potency that was necessary. So it's quite fascinating. The Shoelet, the woman, did not feel comfortable asking the rabbi and asked the rabbi's wife. And Rav Moshe did not feel comfortable, did not feel it was appropriate to respond to the rabbi's wife. He certainly took the rabbi's wife's question, uh, but he responded um, to the rabbi. It's also fascinating that it's the woman asking the question about artificial insemination and not the man. And I really have no idea why that is, except that I think even nowadays often, uh, um, and certainly in Haredi circles often, you know, there's a rush to be focusing on the woman and whether, you know, it's the woman sort of uh, things going on with the woman's body. And maybe here it seems that the woman is taking responsibility for these issues around uh, getting pregnant, um, even when the issue had related to the husband's sperm. Um, anyway, the question was two parts. Number one is that the doctors were specifically uh, recommending a process in which it would mix the husband's sperm with a donor sperm, and we'll see if that makes any difference. And the second part was just the very use of donor sperm. Is that permissible halachically, um, or does that create problems? What type of problems could that create halachically, the use of another man's sperm? Well, if a woman, a married woman has intercourse with another man, that makes her forbidden to her husband. And if she becomes pregnant, pregnant through intercourse with another man, that makes the child a mom's heir. Here, there's no active intercourse, but there is the sperm of another man. What would be the story? And Rav Moshe says there is no question that that does not create a problem at all. The halachic issues of a woman uh, being forbidden to her husband or of a mom's there are all through an act of intercourse, 
Every discussion in the Talmud only discusses being, only discusses an act of intercourse, and there is no indication that sperm itself would be a problem. Not only that, Rav Moshe references a famous uh, passage uh, quoted in the Taz, and Rav Moshe says the following: "V'din zera acher mefurishli iser b'taz yoredeya sim kuf tzarichet shehevi mishemer of peretz bagos mak leisha tzrichli zaher milishkov asadinim sheshachavalein ishacher." That the Taz who quotes a Rabbeinu Peretz Hagot Asmak that says that a woman should not sit on the sheets of another man that another man used slept on because maybe it has a semen on it and she'll become pregnant with this other man's semen. So okay, it says it's forbidden. But Rav Moshe says, but why is it forbidden? It's only forbidden, and we're not going to talk right now about whether that is actually biologically possible, that the semen that has dried and is on the sheets would impregnate a woman. But okay, Rav Moshe says, We see it is forbidden, even though the child would not be a mom's heir. But what is the reason? The reason is because it's clear from what that posek writes that then you won't know who the father is. And then there will be questions because the father will be the one who contributed the semen. And then there'll be issues about the child, whether they can marry somebody if they don't know who their father is, how can they marry somebody? This person might be their brother or their sister. So if Moshe says that is the only reason, it is clear that this is not mamzer, that's made explicit by this posake, and it is clear that the woman is not forbidden to her husband, and this position is universally accepted. Later, Rav Moshe acknowledges that there's an opinion that disagrees with it, but Rav Moshe says, klum. that position is meaningless. It has no validity, not just because all the other posts can accept this position, but also because there's absolutely no evidence in the Talmud or anywhere that anything other than an active intercourse would have relevance for the woman's status or for the child's status. So in this short passage, which he repeats multiple times, Rav Moshe has basically said, artificial insemination is not a problem. It is okay. There is not a problem with the status of the woman, not a problem with the status of the child. There was enormous pushback um, from certain segments of the uh, Orthodox and Haredi community, as we'll see, um, as, and Rev Moshe responded to that pushback, and we'll see that uh, in a little bit later when we look at another tshuva. Now, what else was there to deal with? Well, we've dealt with the fact that the, that the child is okay, the mother is okay, but here's the other question. Does it matter who contributes the sperm? Because we just said that if the sperm of uh, another man impregnates this woman, then the child won't know who to marry um, and who might be their brother or sister. Shav Moshe says two things. First of all, that's just l'chatchila. That's just ab initio. Post facto, um, the likelihood that the person you're interested in marrying happens to be related to the father you don't know about um, is so tiny that we do not have to worry about that. So that's just a lichatchila concern, number one. So if somebody actually went ahead and used sperm of a Jewish man, it actually would not be a problem. But it, you shouldn't lichatchila do it, and therefore you should lichatchila use sperm of a non-Jewish man, because the sperm of a non-Jewish man, the child is not considered halachically related to the father, and therefore has no concerns about who their father is from a halachic standpoint. And, says Rav Moshe, even if you didn't ask, we can just assume that the vast majority of sperm found in, you know, from sperm donors is from non-Jewish men. Wouldn't be the same in Israel, but that's at least what we concern, can, can assume. Because Rav Moshe processes this through a purely halachic lens, he gives no truck with any concern that somehow 
oh, it's inappropriate that sperm of another man that makes the child as if it's a mom's there, even if there was no intercourse. Like, there's no halachic basis for that. And he also gives no truck with the concern about we should use Jewish sperm because we want to keep this in the family. Um, for Rav Moshe, from a halachic perspective, it's actually better to use non-Jewish sperm. He only approaches this through a halachic lens, does not bring any other factors um, into play. So therefore he concludes and he says, Therefore we can permit with a great exigent circumstance when they really are, you know, so desirous of having a child. Now, it's a fascinating sort of way he frames it. He doesn't say, oh, it's no problem, totally permissible, right? He understands, obviously, even though there's really very little halachic issues here, technically speaking, that this was, at the time, taboo and boundary-breaking, and he doesn't just say, oh, no problem. He says, you can permit it when there's a shasadachak, a great exigent circumstance. But what is the shasadachak? The shasadachak is the couple really wants another child. Now, these uh, procedures are often, you know, quite expensive and painful, and every single case that a couple is interested in doing this will pretty much automatically be that case of shasadachak gadol. But he frames it this way so it should not be sort of framed as too permissive. Technically, you shouldn't be doing it ideally, even though technically there really aren't halachic problems, but when you really want a child, it is permissible. So here he's laid the foundation that artificial insemination is okay. Um, how about the specifics of this question, that it was using the sperm, mixing the sperm of the husband with the sperm of another man? So this is fascinating. Rav Moshe said, I spoke to my son-in-law, Rabbi Moshe David Tendler. He explained to me that they really just do this to make the husband feel better. There's really no reasonable chance that the husband's sperm will actually impregnate his wife. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing this at all. They find other ways to use the husband's sperm. And therefore, Rav Moshe says, if that's really the case, it's usser to mix the husband's sperm with the donor sperm. You only use the donor sperm, and again, sperm of a non-Jew. Why? Because you have to would have to extract the husband's sperm, and we'll see in a later show that that's going to be a discussion as well. And in this case, it's totally zera levatala. You're totally extracting sperm for no purpose because there is no purpose. It does not help in the issues of fertility. Now, what about the purpose that it makes the husband feel better? So if Moshe says the following, His semen won't help at all. It's only deceiving him. To make him feel better. That's forbidden for the sake of Now, it's fascinating. You might have said, you know, our emotional states are important. Important. Um, and Rav Moshe and other two vote gives a lot of weight to people's emotional and psychological states. But it seems that here he is not willing to recognize that because it's all part of a deception and part of a lie. So if it makes you feel better to believe that this child might be your biological child, but that's actually totally not true, we cannot make any halachic allowances to allow you to deceive yourself, even if it's going to make you feel better. Rav Moshe addresses two other points here, both of which will come up in other two vote. One is, um, doesn't this somehow, as we mentioned before, violate taboos? And isn't this a sense of like pretzus, licentiousness, you know, not sniut, letting a, a semen of another man go into a woman? And Rav Moshe says, why? Halachically, it's permissible. There's no forbidden act of sex. Where is the issue of pretzut? 
He says, Umashahevi Bautra Poski, Mishem Sefer Menachem Meshiv, Shechalila Lebas Yisrael, Hafgiratzma Lehaznot Hamalachtit. Listen to the language. God forbid, says a certain postsake, that a Jewish woman should make herself so uh, unguarded, worthless, to allow herself to fornicate through this artificial way. So seeing it as a, almost an act of sex and a type of fornication, Shem Siwa Rofim, so much says, Him Tvarim Ba'alma. Eh, that's just words. There's no, there's no halachic basis for this. There's no hashkafic basis. There's no, there's not related to znus. That's about acts of intercourse. Just because you don't like this idea of semen of another man, that is, there is no halachic basis for that. And in this way, Rav Moshe was revolutionary because this was very boundary-breaking. And Rav Moshe says, we just have to look at it through a strict halachic lens. The last point Rav Moshe discusses, and remember, it was a woman who asked the question, can it be done without the husband's permission? Now, why would it be done without the husband's permission? Um, Maybe the husband wouldn't agree to it, or maybe um, because uh, the wife feels that she wants the husband to believe that it, he, he was able to have this child biologically. So she'll go ahead and she'll do the procedure and the husband will think that it's his child. Um, so there's different degrees of not with his permission, not with his knowledge, or with his knowledge and not with his permission. And Rav Moshe could have raised issues about how this violates the trust of the marriage, being pregnant and just doing this act against your husband's will, and so on. But he, again, he looks at this just through a narrow halachic lens. You know, maybe that's a discussion for a therapist, um, but he looks at this here only for a halachic lens. And he says, Because halachically, her labor, the husband has rights to her labor. I don't know if that plays out in modern marriages, but, you know, maybe we could say she's not going, once she's pregnant, she's not going to be as available to to, uh, make the meals or to clean the house. She'll be laid up. She'll be sick. And then he goes on, says, it also might interfere with the sex life. He won't be able to have sex as much as he wants, and it'll cost money, you know, to have the child and during the pregnancy. So all of this is not something that you can put on the husband without his permission, these type of financial demands, um, this type of way in which it compromises the woman's domestic availability or availability for intercourse, um, and therefore it must be done with the husband's permission. Uh, but again, fascinating that he te- applies only a halachic lens through this and not something that more has to deal with the trust and the intimacy of the relationship. In another two, Rav Moshe really repeats the same point, but I'm only, and I'm going to highlight one or two new points that he adds. So in the same volume, Ebenezer 110, written though two years later, February 1961, uh, he discusses this issue again. And here was a case where the woman actually went ahead and did it without her husband's permission. And I just want to read this. He says, Ten years she hasn't had children. The doctors say that it's his. It's because of his semen. And Rav Moshe, before saying, he could have said she did this terrible thing. She went and she did artificial insemination without asking her husband's permission and she violated the trust. No, he starts explaining the legitimacy of her motivation. And he says, look, women want to have children. The Gemara says that even though women aren't commanded in Puravu, you know, if a, if a husband isn't able to give a woman a child, she has a right to demand divorce because she has a right to have a child. And Rav Moshe says, all of the imahot in the Torah wanted a child. This is a very basic, we might say, biological need 
of women, and it's very legitimate. And because of this, Rav Moshe said she went and she did this procedure without her husband's permission. Because of this, he says, um, We know from the, our foremothers, This is about all women. So therefore, so she went ahead and she did this artificial insemination without her husband's permission. So I think it's just so fascinating that he starts with this profound sympathy for what is motivating this woman, not just to have a child, but even to do it without her husband's permission, um, maybe knowing that the husband would have objected. And then Rav Moshe um, repeats his positions that we've dealt with, that it's all about sex, it's not about semen, and therefore this does not change her status at all, that it's preferable to use the semen of a non-Jew, and you can assume it's the semen of a non-Jew, but post facto, even if it was the semen of a Jew, the child does not have to worry about who their father is. That's only a very tiny concern. Um, And then Rav Moshe just ends again with this point about uh, the husband, and he says, says, the husband, he could say, it was not done with my consent, so fine. You don't want to have to pay the bills for the infant, child support. You don't want to have to pay the doctor's bill. You're entitled. But by saying that is what you're entitled to, not to pay those financial obligations, Rav Moshe is also saying, but this should not be a reason to break up the marriage. You should understand what was motivating your wife, and this is not bigger than the issue of these technical concerns of finances and so on. Now, we might think it is bigger, but Rav Moshe, I think, is really trying to preserve the marriage and recognize what motivates uh, these types of, uh, would motivate a woman to go do this without her husband's permission. So we're going to look now at, briefly, at two other two votes that uh, relate to Rav Moshe's position. One is from Evan Ezer, um, 432, section 5. And this was October 1980, so a good, you know, 20 years after these. And here he just says, why did he voice his initial opposition or preference that it not be done after he said that it was technically totally permissible? You will remember that Ramosha said it's, it's okay, in a great exigent circumstance, which almost every case would be, but why did he frame it as this, as this opposition? At least, ideally not to do. And Rav Moshe says the following, I didn't say you should do it, or it's totally okay to do it. First of all, he says, you're not fulfilling the mitzvah of Pruervu because it's not the husband's semen, and it's the husband who's obligated in Pruervu. We'll get back to that in our next um, episode. And then he says, so therefore, there's no compelling mitzvah of Pruervu to allow using another man's semen. And the woman isn't obligated. And we know Rav Moshe recognized, as we just read, the profound desire to have children. So he has another reason to be hesitant. It's possible that the husband will wind up being very jealous. What does it mean to have a child that you're raising, even with, even with your consent, that you know is not your biological child? And again, this was when this was very new technology. Nowadays, I think it's much, much more accepted. This does not raise those issues. But Rav Moshe was concerned concerned about that, and therefore he says, it's not halachically a problem, but it's not a good idea. 
So saying it's not a good idea, I'm concerned about the husband's jealousy, is a little different than saying we can permit it only b'shasa d'chak gadol. Um, but Rav Moshe, clear, it's clear that Rav Moshe basically felt halachically it wasn't an issue at all, and he just voiced a, some initial sense of resistance or hesitation, but ultimately, when the couple wanted to do it, he would certainly say it's permissible. The last one we're going to look at is from Ebenezer 2.11, written around the time of the earlier Q vote, June 1962, and here he deals with the opposite position that he got from uh, certain Haredi circles um, who vehemently oppose it, and some still do. They basically say that this is like, the child is like a mom's heir. It's, a woman is pregnant with the sperm of another man. And Rav Moshe here says, not only am I not being sensitive to Jewish values, you think you're saying this from a Jewish perspective, it's you who are using trace values and trying to bring them into the halachic discussion. And he says the following, I received your long letter. You actually gave me Musr, the writer of the letter. You gave me Rav Moshe Musr. Overwhelming, like critical Musr. Because you think from your perspective that what I ruled will lead to licentiousness, you know, using semen of another man, might encourage, I don't know, adultery. And it'll violate the Kedusha of the Yichus of Klai Yisrael, which is basically, if you're using, especially Rav Moshe ruled it should be non-Jewish semen, you know, you're introducing the genes, non-Jewish genes, this, this violates the Kedusha's Yisrael. Now, that is not a halachic term, okay? It's a very deep, emotional, religious term. And Rav Moshe could have acknowledged that that's a religious perspective, but halachically it's permissible and we follow halacha, um, especially if people want to have a kid. But Rav Moshe actually uh, says no. First he says, first of all, don't be worried about the fact that you gave me Musr. He says, You were afraid that I would be upset that you yelled at me and criticized me. So he says, no, Rav Moshe says, I'm actually very moved by the fact. I am very moved by the fact that there are people of real religious fervor that are not afraid to give muster when they think it needs to be given. Okay, but now let's get to the to the to, to the essence of what you said. So very obviously modest of Rav Moshe. It's fine. You want to give me muster, but Rav Moshe says. There's nothing that will lead to a violation of Taras Yisrael, Kedushas Yisrael. I'm just paskining halacha. How could, if you follow halacha, it violate any of these types of concerns? Now, and by the way, says Moshe, you're trying to raise those concerns? Since they have no legitimacy and no place within the halachic discourse, they are clearly not only not weighty, but Rav Moshe says they're treif. They must be influenced by some outside values. Um, he says, this is somehow you're being influenced by, I don't know, secular values? I don't know what these outside values are. Um, may seem, and because you are not on your guard to protect yourself against these outside influences, they are corrupting even big Talmidei Chachamim and corrupting how they read the Torah. Okay, based on those, those uh, false treif values. So what is really fascinating is people 
will say, you know, that's tradition, you know, saying we shouldn't have semen of another man. It's certainly a non-Jew. That's like classic Jewish values. Rav Moshe is the modern rabbi who's totally okay with this new thing of artificial insemination. And Rav Moshe is saying, Rav Moshe is saying the opposite. Hey, I'm doing halacha. Halacha says it's totally permissible. Any argument that it is a problem is coming from somewhere else, and you're the ones who are treif. You know, those are treif values, not what I am doing. So then Rav Moshe says, I have nothing to do with people who allow themselves to be influenced by outside values. All of my way of looking at the world, my hashkafa comes, I don't believe in Torah Mada, I don't believe in any of that stuff. Even though I'm a very posek that deals with the modern world, right? Rav Moshe is not modern Orthodox, as we've said before, and I don't want anything to do with those outside perspectives. Rak midiyat Torah believe shum ta'arovet midiyat chitzoniyot. Without any intermingling, any trafing up of any outside values. I only go by the Torah, shemishpateh emet, don't say because you're being a machmir, you're being frumer. You're being a, your chumr is coming from some trafe place, and I go by the Torah, and we follow the Torah, and if it allows us to be lenient, then that's what we follow. Making up these other values, which are not based on halacha and Torah, have no place. Okay? Even if you want to be strict. Now, then Rav Moshe has to deal with the fact that actually, are these really outside values? Because when the Torah talks about the prohibition of adultery, for it says, it, for example, it says, To your friend's wife, you shall not give your lying for seed. And some of the, uh, the Ibn Ezra, the Ramban, some of the Mepharshim say that that points out that part of the issues of adultery is that you don't know whose child it is and the semen comes from another man. And maybe we should say, at least from that values perspective, artificial insemination should not be okay. And Rav Moshe says, no, you know what? Though they're just saying that as sort of hypothetical, but they can't really mean those are Torah values. Why can they not really mean that those are Torah values? Because halacha rejects it. Since halacha gives no concern with the semen and halacha only gives concern with the act of sex, then clearly, even when Ramban is saying that, not only does it not become halacha, it's not even a real Torah value, and he's just saying it as a hypothetical. And then Rav Moshe does something he does in a few other places, which is when the source really doesn't work with his how he understands what the source has to be saying, he says, it must be a, a, a manuscript problem. It must be a Torah so fair. He says, When Ramban said there was an idea of Zerah, he was not saying that lahalacha. He was only in his commentary on the Torah. The Lulei Demistafina, were I not afraid, I would, I would say, From this section in the Ramban, Ramban. Eh, Ramban didn't write that. It was written by some later student of the Ramban. But whether, even if the Ramban wrote it, he never meant that it has a place in halacha. And it doesn't even really become a tameha mitzvot, a, a value of the mitzvah that we should attend to. How do we know it? Since that value note doesn't have a place in halacha, so you see the value is not really the right value of uh, of this halacha. So this is really fascinating in the discussions of you know of tamei hamitzvot and halacha and Torah values. Where Moshe says the only Torah value I'll give cognizance to is one that is reflected in the halacha. So even if this is pshat of a pasuk, it cannot be. 
a real Torah value if it is not reflected in halacha. And in this way, Rav Moshe takes what was a harsh critique that he was the modern one who was using treif values and violating Torah values and turns it around and says, if I'm following halacha, that is my guide to what is mutter and usr, and that is my guide to Torah values. And any other any other concerns that you're bringing in, those are really the trafe concerns, and therefore artificial insemination is totally permissible. And in this way, Rav Moshe made it possible for thousands and thousands of couples to have children that they otherwise would not be able to have. Thanks for listening to Igris Moshe A to Z with Rabbi Dov Linzer. This podcast is brought to you three times a week by Shivat Chovevei Torah. Don't forget to subscribe and check out yctorah.org to learn more.